I can't tell you how many brick and mortar retailers don't collect data in any really significant quantity. The people at the counter don't really want to do it and they don't make them. But what that means is, you know, this whole explosion of new consumers in, in the summer of 2020 are kind of unknown now. And we don't know, well, how to bring them back. We don't know how to talk to them. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce today Scott Bulter, who is the president and CEO of Ascent 360. Welcome to the show, Scott. It's great to have you. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Glad to be here. So Scott and I have met each other through the years through various clients, and I have such respect for what you've built. And I was hoping that you could bring the audience up to speed in terms of a little bit of your career trajectory and how you became inspired to be the founder of this great company. Yeah, I would, I would love to. So I started my career in software and data, and that was actually out in, in California, in Los Angeles. And interestingly, my wife and I were coming back from Yosemite. We did a, a backpacking trip and we just realized that we love the mountains and it's, you know, six or seven hour drive through LA as you get there. And we said to ourselves, you know, we've got to move to Colorado. And we make it out to Colorado. And I was back in the data business, but at a company that provides support to the Fortune 500, right? You know, the Dells, the Geico's, the really big companies who are global and have hundreds of millions of dollars to spend on data and then data personalization. And what really drove me was to say, well, how do I make that bring that you know best of breed bleeding edge sort of technology but bring it to a different consumer and i was actually pulled into a company called the leisure trends group that served the outdoor industry you know 3 400 fantastic outdoor customers uh, i helped kind of build and lead their crm division and you know the mission there very much was let's build a technology that is like merkle that does all of the amazing sort of, you know, consumer personalization, but let's bring that to the outdoor industry. Let's bring it to the mid-market. And from that, Ascent 360 was born. So that's visionary (laughs) because tell us what year that was, and we can go into this a little bit more. You know, it was 2013 that we split up from the Leisure Trends group, but, but I think it was about 2010 that I joined Leisure Trends, which, you know, it's 10 years ago now, amazingly. It is amazing. And the reason I bring that up is that is very forward looking. I mean, everybody has an opinion on at the time in leisure trends. I remember because even when I was a journalist, leisure trends was how we defined some of our editorial. We always got a lot of response 
everybody's like, you know, it doesn't capture this, it doesn't capture that. But really, everybody relied on it, it was trusted. And yes, they did feel it was for them as specialty brands. You really, yeah. I think, elevated the opportunity for small specialty or mid-sized specialty brands, though, with Ascent 360. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. You know, what I think is interesting, if there's a little bit of vision in it, I think with every vision comes some personal experience. And a personal experience for myself and my family is we had a condo at a ski resort in Colorado, and I'll leave the ski resort nameless, but we would go there literally every single weekend. My kids started on you know the kids program, made it up onto the race team. We came year in, year out. And amazingly, that resort had the email I would get is, you know, $99 off at the local hotel or something like that. When, you know, I knew probably 50 people on the mountain every single weekend we were there. And when we decided to leave, we just burned out. You know, there was never an email. There was never a phone call. And you think that's eight years of being really super engaged. You know, my kids were raised on that mountain. And you'd say that, well, there's got to be something better that mountain really needs to be able to speak to its consumer in a much more fundamental way than, hey, just buy our passes. That is the perfect example. So it's almost like you, I would say, pioneered maybe um, by directly bridging lifetime customer value to this market. Would you agree? I think so. And, you know, we love it in our software. We have a calculation that is customer lifetime value, but there's really a lot to think about there, right? There's How often do they visit? When they do fall away, what's the reasoning for it? And, you know, you start to ask yourself, well, people are going to fall away for very natural reasons, right? You might hurt your leg. You might um, decide to have children and take a year off. But if there is a way to say, well, let's find that out and let's understand it. And was it a bad experience? And if it was a bad experience, how do we change that and then go treat the consumer, you know, really well? You know, I have this classically, we work with a lot of bike retailers, but when I go into a bike retailer, for whatever reason, I look like the sort of guy who doesn't have any idea what he's doing. And and, and, and I don't know why, but the, I mean, maybe everyone will have an understanding on their own, but what ends up happening to me is that the retail salesperson ultimately says things that I feel kind of a little bit demeaned by, right? And that's kind of a classic thing in bike retail, right? You know, the guy who you're talking to probably uh, raced at one point and then they really know what they're doing. But the question starts being, well, if you know the person, how do you talk to them in a voice that fits them very, very well? Because, you know, when I am in a bike retail store, I actually am asking for help. And that's like why specialty retail exists. That is how specialty is going to skyrocket past this COVID-19 as well. And that is actually one of the main I was so excited to have you be part of our kickoff 2021 series because we've talked a lot on this podcast in the fourth quarter of 2020 about how it's not so much that we have a comparable now, but we have experiences that we can see worked and didn't work. We have a body of work, whether it was elegant or not, it doesn't matter. We have things that we can look back on and graduate forward as we're looking to kind of manage another... um, I think every year going forward is not going to be like, here's my annual marketing plan or my annual sales plan. Like everything is going to continue to have a level of having to be nimble built into it today because the consumer expects that. So you have such a great purview into specialty data and consumer behavior. So I'd love to just make sure that we really treat our audience today to what's in your brain. 
Okay. So yeah. walk us through 2020, maybe talk about some top areas of focus that you've seen evolve with how your customer value equation is. Like, what did they discover about you this year that made them realize something that they could do to survive or thrive? Or give me some examples of that. Yeah. So you know what it makes me think of is if you listen to uh, whatever evolutionary biologists, they look over the swath of hundreds of thousands and millions of years, but they know that there are these moments that evolution happens very rapidly. And I think one of them might be called the Precambrian explosion, right? Where just all of a sudden thousands of species existed. And that might be a very lofty sort of analogy, but I think 2020 looks a little bit the same from the consumer's perspective. Uh, So from the consumer's perspective, as things shut down, a couple of things happened, right? There's certainly a world in which the consumer felt a lot of pain they were out of a job, they were nervous, maybe they had a lot of free time. And then there was another set of consumers who actually said, well, I've got almost nothing to do. I'm stuck at home, but I'm still getting a paycheck. And they started interacting with the world in a way that they never had before. They're all of a sudden using online tools, delivery mechanisms, shop at home, pick up curbside technologies that they really hadn't bothered to in the past. So, you know, the evolution from the consumer perspective was remarkably quick. Just think of the uptick in, you know, everyone's sophisticated use of Zoom. My mother's 84 and we have Zoom calls all the time. And my mother orders Ubers and DoorDash and just about everything. So the consumer has changed so dramatically in just a year. While I think there's sections of specialty retail that are just still kind of asking, like, when does it go back to normal? Uh, Like, when are we going to be back to that same sort of spot? And I think there's an argument to be said that that's probably not going to happen. And even if it does partially happen, there's a piece of this that the new world is just forever changed and that the consumer is forever changed, which I think is going to have, you know, impacts into 2021. Absolutely. I actually like the Precambrian explosion. I'm going to play around with that. Um, (laughs) Let's talk about what a consumer first approach really looks like for these specialty brands that we serve today. I mean, ultimately, I think in a few calls that we've had getting prepared for this, we definitely have agreed that they've built a, you know, some of the legacy brands especially have built a pretty solid system process, you know, profitability equation, even though everybody always loves to argue about that. But they've built a track that they've done business where they've really relied on channels to tell their story for them. Whether, you know, obviously specialty retail is what I'm talking about. And we all definitely know that specialty is going to come back in its own way as a force going forward because people are so missing that in-person interaction and that validation that only specialty can really provide. However, we have been forced in 2020 to go straight to the consumer to help build audiences, to help all these channels. Can you talk about what you see as like the best ways to be a consumer first company going forward? Yeah. So I think the way to start thinking about consumer first is weirdly, you know, not to think about 2021, but it's first to start thinking about like 1950 or 1960 or something and say, well, if you were a consumer that was, let's say, building a deck on the back of your house and you went into your local hardware store, what was your experience? And if I had to bet, the experience felt a little bit like you walk in, it's your ninth time in there, you're not entirely sure of what you're doing building this deck, but there's a couple folks inside who you've gotten to know, they've been helping you, they've been coaching you, 
they've been telling, you know, this pre YouTube, right. You don't have, you don't have videos to go watch how to do this stuff. So when you walk in, they know you, they understand what you're trying to achieve and they're going to help you through it. And they're going to give you some tools to make that happen. And so I think the question is, well, how do you recreate that experience in 2021 if you're a specialty retailer? And even, you know, a small specialty retailer probably sees 20 to 40,000 consumers in a year, you know, a large, maybe eight, 10 door specialty retailer. It could be, you know, 100,000 or 200,000 kind of known consumers in a database. And when you say, well, you've got that many people, it's very hard to say, you know, hi, Sally, you know, how's your, how's your deck? Uh, but you actually can do, you know, a lot of versions of that. So if you think that a specialty retailer probably knows that, you know, someone named Scott Bielter bought a specialized bike a year ago, you can start making some assumptions about what that looks like for me, the consumer. And you can also say, well, he didn't come in for the 30-day tune-up that we give for free. It probably means he's either chosen some like self-support methodology or he's gone somewhere else. But why don't we start there and start thinking about, we know the consumer, we know what he bought, we know what the life cycle probably looks like. Let's make sure that we communicate with them you know, using data to get some sort of answer. And that can, I think, look like, well, let's start the relationship when they buy the bike. Let's make sure that we know what their goals are. We know why they're buying the bike and we know what they're buying. And then let's make sure that, you know, within some period of time, we're communicating with them about accessories, right? When they get home and find out that their gloves really don't fit anymore, their helmet, their old helmet doesn't do what they want it to. So they're going to go get another one. And where are they going to do that? They can do it at some local big box store because they probably carry all that stuff, or they can maybe drive a little further and come to your store. And let's make sure that they come to your store, not just because it's closer, but because like the experience was good. They know that someone might actually know their name or have a sense of you know who their good customers are. And then let's you know keep following that life cycle, that journey. And I think that's what customer first marketing is all about. It's let's try to know people. You can know some of them in a one-to-one sense. You're going to know some of them in a segmented sense, you know, 5,000 people who, you know, did something else, you know, let's say buy a kid's bike. And that can be in a segmented sense. And then, you know, you can know them from a demographic sense and all those sort of things as well. Awesome. So that's a really great example, especially when we look at it through the lens of the bajillions of newcomers, right? Yes. All right. Maybe not bajillions, but we have quite a swath of very excited new enthusiast outdoor consumers and cyclists. So looking at retail is a first stop for them. Obviously there's, you know, be welcoming and it's still a pretty constricted environment, but they're going to keep trying to come in and get help and become part of the community that they've purchased this product to belong to. Cause that's ultimately what we're seeing is these specialty brands are the consumer or the community for this consumer today. That's right. What you're talking about is a perfect best practice to roll out to this newcomer because a lot of people in our world of specialty are kind of scratching their heads like, how can we not mess this up? How can we like, <laughs> you know, make sure that they don't like leave and go back to Little League? Well, they may go back to Little League, but if we help them fall in love with this, they will stay. What's That's your right. recommendation for that? Not only just for retailers, but for specialty brands. Yeah. So it's really a great thing to just think about and brainstorm. And there's so much there. 
And I think we all know it anecdotally, right? Even around our office Zooms, you know, we had plenty of employees who were buying their first bike and they were doing it for fundamentally different reasons than the, you know, historic sort of carbon road bike consumer. They're doing it to get outside, to have fun, to have that kind of feeling of just joy of, you know, zooming down a hill while they were stuck inside for the last 90 days. And I think there's an element of, well, a best practice and, you know, it's like to think about, well, how do you interact with that consumer? I think you need to have some sense of their motivation. And so if you say that, well, what we're going to try to do is do some data collection, right? Let's try to get our customer's email address when they, you know, buy online when they buy in retail because, you know, bike stores were open or when they, you know, did some sort of online curve. But we want to know something, but let's also gather some other information about, you know, what motivation might look like, what what the psychographic component is. And I think that the goal of kind of keeping that alive is really about messaging those people in the right way, right? They probably don't associate with, you know, the Tour de France is starting or it's, you know, whatever time trial day or something like that. They're probably associating with something else. And you can probably consider segmenting to them in a much simpler way than a super sophisticated, you know, Fortune 500 company. And I don't know that it's all that much different for brands because I think they're experiencing a lot of the same thing, right? A lot of direct consumer, you know, purchased a bike from them who may want to buy some accessories, but then, you know, probably are going to somehow get out into the community and start getting engaged with rides as things start opening up, uh, things like that. And I think there's great ways of thinking, well, how do we go know who they are, something about them and communicate with them? Agreed. So I love that. Is it safe to say building today's loyalty programs or an approach to loyalty building could be like start with different audiences and their motivations? And that goes to having a survey or some kind of a conversation with them. I, I think that's fundamentally important to try to collect some data. The way that I think you should think about a loyalty program and that if you back up even a little bit and just say, well, okay, this is ultimately what we want to do is make sure a retailer's revenue is growing or a brand or you know pure e-com company that their revenue is growing. And so the goal is a better customer experience, but the result needs to be that you know, revenue increases. And so you say, well, if all these things are tied together, then let's think about how do we kind of just do the simple block and tackling. And the first and foremost is data collection. And I can't tell you how many brick and mortar retailers don't collect data in any really uh, significant quantity. Uh, You know, the people at the counter don't really want to do it and they don't make them. But what that means is, you know, this whole explosion of new consumers in 2020, in the summer of 2020, are kind of unknown now. And we don't know, well, how to bring them back. We don't know how to talk to them. So step one is do that data collection. You can you know, have a fully contactless interaction if, if you email people receipts. Uh, there are other values to that, certainly for brands, you know, to talk to people about recalls, and as well as retailers to talk to people about any sort of you know, recall or product issue or something like that. So I think there's reasons to engage the consumer in that contact or collection of information. But once you have it, I would say that then the next step is to say, well, 
use that wisely and carefully, right? Don't just start batching and blasting people emails that are like nothing to do with them. I actually did just recently get an email from a ski manufacturer that said, join us at the Komen Foundation Women's Festival in Squaw Valley. And it was for women only, right? And so I'm not a woman. I don't live near Squaw Valley, although I would be happy to go if I could get out there. You know, it's like, well, let's like respect someone's data and treat them like a person a little bit more so that, you know, what you're sending them is relevant to them. And if people get relevant communications, it's shocking how it works, right? So if you think about simple email and you say that, well, send a batch and blast email, you're going to have about a 13% open rate, maybe 15%. It's pretty typical these days. It used to be 18% four or five years ago. If you send someone a behavioral-based email, right, they take some sort of action and you send them an email based on that, uh, the open rates are 60, 70, 80%. And it, what you're really saying is that the consumer is starting to interact with you as a business and they're doing it voluntarily. They, they want to. And I think that's in some sense the holy grail is if the consumer is interacting. And maybe to your original question, if one of the early things that you send them is a survey and you ask them something like, you know, do you like road bikes or gravel bikes or mountain bikes? And do you consider this a hobby or a commute or a, um, you know, competitive endeavor? Then you've got a lot of information to interact with the consumer in a much more profound way. Absolutely. I love that. And we will put a lot of links into the show notes around some of the great content and resources that Scott and his team have put together for Ascent 360 as well. There's some great stuff in there that could help guide brands as they're doing their best to plan and create a go forward in 2021, which brings me to my next question. Yeah, I've interviewed um, people, you know, on the Google ad side, um, you know, other people who are working with data, point of sale data, it's very, very difficult to use that data the way that some of the businesses have used it in the past because 2020 was kind of a pre-Cambrian year, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what is your advice in terms of building models for 2021 off of 2020 data? Do you have anything to like help us out with on that front? You know, I think it is, a lot has changed and I don't even think we know completely what that is yet. So, you know, it's, it's accurate that if you would go build a customer profile for, you know, a major outdoor uh, brand a year and a half ago, it would look like it did in all the years before that. And that tends to be relatively wealthy, relatively professional, relatively Caucasian, um, you know, kind of leaning in a bunch of ways that is a relatively high-end, sophisticated buyer. I'm positive that has changed this year for a whole host of reasons. You know, people have been getting into the outdoors that have never had an opportunity to. It's actually their safe place now, right? It's where they feel comfortable. And those consumer profiles are changing. And that doesn't mean that you should change your brand to meet that consumer, but it may mean that you want to change your messaging to meet that consumer. I would also say that if you actually go look at one of those former profiles, you'll find an enormous amount of wealth that is heavily engaged in buying outdoor equipment. If that has, in fact, changed, and I think that it has, then it's probably incumbent upon the brand or the retailer to start thinking about, well, how do you communicate in a specialty sense with different segments of the consumer? 
And I don't actually know that we have a pretty good sense of exactly how the consumer is changing beyond some of those items or necessarily what the best mechanism is to communicate a little bit differently. But what we do know is that that consumer does look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Well, I think when you think about some of the fundamentals, though, I think some of the models really will stay the same. You know, so if you think about, well, if you would create a predictive model of what goes into kind of like your next best consumer, it's going to be some combination of have they bought recently? It's unintuitive, but recent customers are the most likely customers to buy again. It certainly is. Are they engaging with you, right? Are they coming to your website? Are they looking around at stuff? Are they engaging with your emails? And, you know, probably some combination of income and other attributes. But if you just think about those, those probably haven't changed all that much. However, the way that they want to interact with you, I think, is probably totally unpredictable. Some people really couldn't care less and they'll just come into your store and they don't even want to wear a mask. And other people are really in a place where they say, look, I've got family that has health issues or I might myself and I need this to be a very clean, smooth process, even post-vaccination. And I think it's probably going to be really important to kind of continue that evolution around the retail purchase process. I hear you. And I think what's online, bringing people into the store when they're able to do that and they can do it now, I think in some level, in some regions, they can do curbside, et cetera. But that consumer decision journey online is super important. And Ascent does inform, I think, the top converting platform, which is email. So do you have any great words of wisdom around the evolution of email marketing as we go into 2021? Yeah. So there's a couple of things here I think are worth really digging into. The first is that email is not dead. And we've all been predicting the death of email literally for 10 years. I think I was five years old when they started predicting that. I think that's probably right. (laughs) Uh, It continues to be the workhorse. It is the highest ROI channel that's out there even today, right? It's inexpensive to send and it converts. That said, it's important to think about this. If you know 100,000 people by their email, and let's say, so you have a database of 100,000 people, how many of them do you think you can actually communicate with via email? It's probably, do you want to take a guess just out of interest? I'd say 4%. Well, so let's do the math, right? So if you've got 100,000 people, the odds are you've probably got 15, 20, 25% that have unsubscribed. Then you've probably got another 5, 10% where their emails have just started bouncing, right? They've left the company that they were at. They changed from Yahoo to Gmail or something like that. And you've not had a way to update it. Then you've got an enormous bunch of people who are just not responding anymore, right? They bought something from you four years ago. They're really into it, but their life has changed. They moved to Boston, whatever it is. They're not engaged with your email anymore. So maybe you've got 30% that will actually once a year, twice a year, open that email. So it's 30,000 people. Look, it's you know half the size of, of a big stadium. So it's a lot of people, but only 30,000 are there. And then you say, well, how many are actually going to open it or click on it? Excuse me. It's probably near the sort of metric that you're talking about, right? So I think that the way to turn that on its head is to say, well, let's use the data to focus on automations that are based on someone's behavior, right? They put something into their cart, 
they're browsing your website, they opened an email, they bought something, they're arriving at your hotel in 30 days, any of those sort of behavioral sort of emails, you're going to have a 70, 80% open rate. And those things are absolutely going to kill it, right? The ROI is extremely high. But then you say, well, the ones that you can't talk to via email anymore, right? It's uh, They're not engaged anymore. You can communicate with them via other channels, right? You can take Let's just pretend, you know, this is an easy example. If you had a thousand season pass holders and 700 of them have not opened an email in the past six months, you can take those 700 and you can push them into Facebook. It will match Facebook users that are real Facebook users that have that email address and you can show them an ad. And if their preferred channel is Facebook, well, they're probably going to see your ad. They don't use email much anymore. They're using Facebook. You can do the same thing with Google. You can do the same thing into Pandora Radio. All sorts of channels are all consumer relevant and you're, you're able to speak to them as a consumer. So what I'd say is that like email is still it, right? It's going to be the one that converts, but think about all the other ones and how well they work. And it's all personalized also because if you loaded your season pass holders, then well, those are your season pass holders. You know something about them. You can say, we miss you. Buy another season pass. Right. Something like that. I love that. You make it sound so achievable and it truly is. I think you just have to keep that, whether or not the holidays gave you a time to rest up and kind of come back after your business <laughs> in a way where you don't feel like depleted. Because I think so many of us at the end of 2020, were really on our last legs. Yeah. But we have to dig deep and we have <laughs> to keep evolving and kind of look at that as like, well, I just had almost a year to train. I'm in a pretty good, you know, physical condition for this, right? Yep, <laughs> there really right. is no more set and forget. So you're really, what you're providing is great because it's pulling from what you do know and doing a bunch of testing and learning across the channels that you know your audience is gravitating toward and then seeing what happens and doing more of what works and less of what doesn't. And while that does sound pretty easy, that's really, I think the formula and I love, love, love that you're bringing it out of your email list. Because yep. that's what you own. Like they can't take that away from you with an yep. algorithm change. So right. that's right. You know, the thing that I would add there a little bit is, you know, almost every outdoor business brand has some seasonality to it, right? So people sell lots of bikes around Christmas, but we know that there's a season that starts when the weather starts getting warm and then it starts tapering off at the end of summer. And, you know, ski season, the same sort of thing that, you know, once, you know, April hits, it's kind of like, well, we get two months off until there's some summer activity. And I think the way to start thinking about it is when you've got those downtimes, that's the time to go dig deep in other areas, right? Build your PR plan, build your email marketing plan, build your uh, technology plan, because like you've got time to do a bunch of work because we all know that once it's, you know, March 25th, it's, you know, game over, right? You're going to be Saturday, Sunday, you know, at the store, or you're going to be solving e-commerce issues all weekend long, all those sorts of things. Right. That's great advice. Well, I look forward to having you back on as a resource as we continue through this new era that 2020 brings for us. And I really appreciate you. And I, one thing I think that's so great about what you've built with Ascent is your mission of kind of closing the gap between small and mid-sized businesses and technology and helping us compete with those companies that just have inordinate amounts of resources for personalization and data capture. I mean, it's really, I'm so grateful that you started when you did and had the vision when you did, because 
now we have it and we can really use it to our advantage to get on equal footing and like that level playing field that we propagate here on the podcast. Like there's so much that we can bring to it with our specialty approach, humanizing our, you know, interaction with our consumers, et cetera. And that's really what you bring in terms of a toolkit for your customers. So tell us where our amazing audience can learn more about Ascent 360. So first of all, thank you, Kristen. It's great to get to sit down and talk a little bit more. Uh, You know, I I think, you know, some of our first conversations, interestingly, we're in Seattle with, you know, the great Chris Spire, uh, (laughs) who was running Raleigh at the time, and, you know, other folks that were all interested in this topic. And, you know, that's long enough ago that I won't even say it out loud. But the spark all started at some point. And, you know, it's great to continue the conversation. If people want more information, I guess there's a couple things, right? One, go to our website, which is ascent360.com. Uh, there's a lot of information there. I would implore people to also, you know, stop by LinkedIn and follow us or Facebook, as well as just send me an email. And that's sbilter at ascent360.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really, really look forward to what we can do with what you've brought to market and really this new consumer behavior. So I look forward to tapping into you for more information as we go forward here. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you too. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advanced notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings. Thanks for listening and see you next week.